Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. Oh my god, has everybody taken stupid pills? Why the hell are you listening to a podcast about a TV show that started over 10 years ago? Why the hell am I making a podcast about a TV show that started 10 years ago? Either way, we're here now, so let's make do. Now for episode 2, we are starting on episode 1. It does make sense, I promise you. Now just sit back, relax, close your eyes, and let's pretend it's 2009 all over again. Ah, they were the days. So, my first guest as we venture into the series proper is Hannah Booth. I know the first question that I'm going to ask you is going to have an easy answer. Oh, I wonder what it could be. Do you identify as a vampire, a werewolf, or a ghost? Oh, such a, tr- such a tricky question. Um, I'm going to say, considering my room is full of bats, um, a vampire. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I know. What a surprise. Girls Hang schools. on a minute. I need to backtrack there. Your room is full of bats. Yes. Yeah, I have. I've lost track of how many. But basically, if I see a, a bat related anything, it will somehow find its way into my into my room. So you don't. So if a real bat came into your room, you wouldn't keep it as a souvenir. I mean, you know, who who's to say? I've not had that happen yet. But there's there's plenty of plenty of space for a little cage, you know. I can, I can make it work. You can make it work. Yeah. Um, okay. So as I know, you are a out and proud goth, <laughs> and as things the best things in being human come in threes, I asked you to list your name your three favorite goths. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course made every single goth completely vanish out of my head um yeah and this and this could be anything it could be any walk of life uh film tv music anything yeah so yeah to make it easy i sort of went for one um one from film one tv one sort of real life so my my real life choice would be the queen of goth herself Susie sue from Susie and the banshees um yeah absolutely one of my favorite bands um and then from film it would have to be uh the Str- Miss Strange and Unusual herself, Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. God, it's years since I've seen. Oh, you need to give her another watch. It's such oh, such a such a classic. Um, and then and I was thinking TV, and it it, it seems like potentially the sort of the obvious answer, but I am tempted to go Michaela Thompson, our, our beloved poetess. Um, now that is a, that is a choice that surprises me. Yeah. <laughs> There were there were lots of choices, but honestly, I absolutely loved her in her episode. Um, my Tumblr icon is her, and um, I learned I learned the whole poem that she graced Hal and Tom with. So there's lots of choices, but I think I would probably have to go with her. Is that because you're pretty dark? <laughs> yeah, I I would say yeah. If I was um. If if I was to be made into a vampire, it would be a 
lesbian film nerd version of Michaela. So <laughs> I don't I don't think the world needs another Michaela. So <laughs> No, one was bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll keep me human for now. So in terms of that interest and that passion of yours, mm. what came first? Was it that and then being human or did they kind of counteract each other? Ooh, that is a good question. Um I think I I mean I started watching Being Human of uh, at 13 years old um when I wasn't I didn't know anything what about What were your parents? I know oh don't don't they did not know they did not know um <laughs> and yeah so I started watching it when I was just just a little teenager and and I didn't start like getting into goth until a few years later but i was into vampires and all of that from from a much younger age i think you know mona uh, mona the vampire and um, young dracula um that one basil brush episode which was a halloween vampire episode i remember having a very staying in my mind a long time <laughs> and then along came being human i was not expecting basil yeah. <laughs> No one does. I don't think I tell that to many people. No. Well, it's just on a podcast now. What, don't yeah, no, you know, no one's going to listen to this. So when you first watched Being Human, was it from the first series? Yeah, so um, it's a, it, I really like the story of how I got into it, actually, because I was, as I said, I was about 13 years old. I was in a supermarket and I saw um, Radio, Radio Times did their cover um, was the promoting series three of Being Human, um, and I was immediately intrigued by these weird characters on the front cover, um, but didn't think much of it. And then that night, I had a dream featuring the characters from Being Human. Um, and then so the next day, I decided I would go on YouTube because this was when everything was you could find everything on YouTube. Um, and um, I watched the first episode, and then that was that was it. So f I started series one, episode one, but a few years behind everyone else. Basically, it was love at first sight. Then. Oh yeah, absolutely. From that, like, oh, within maybe the first ten minutes, and certainly by the end of the episode, I was absolutely enthralled. It it had it had its fangs right in my neck, and it has yet to let go. Yeah. I wish I could say say I'm over it, but I'm doing a podcast on it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 uh, well, as Lauren says, you know, it's like Hotel California. Once you check in, you can never leave. All right, shall we flash back to the glory days of 2009? Oh, let's. Uh, we will step into the first episode. It's called Flotsam and Jetsam, and it was first broadcast on the 25th of January 2009. Written by Toby Whithouse, directed by Toby Haynes, and of course starring Lenora Critchlow, Russell Toby, Aidan Turner, and with a backing cast of Annabelle Scully, Jason Watkins, and Greg Chillin. Oh my goodness, okay. Um, so yeah, so we start with this brilliant, I mean, this brilliant opening monologue of Annie's. Um, the first thing you see is her dead, which is probably a pretty good introduction to the character. It's a really—I found it a really good, really interesting monologue, monologue, and a really sort of it took, 
it gives what we were missing from the pilot sort of that adds a little bit extra context to all of the characters it gets straight to the heart of the matter doesn't yeah. it? actually all all three characters we we get so much knowledge of them from the first scene but in my opinion, a lot of narration in TV shows is a bit over the top and it doesn't work, but Being Human uses it very sporadically, and when it does use it, it uses it effectively. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So Yeah, because we see Mitchell at war, literally chancing upon Herrick and some vampires, and Annie says something like, she didn't think death would smile at him at first, and isn't that such a Herrick thing, like literally <laughs> smiling before Yes. Oh, and that that grin he does. Oh, chilling. <laughs> yeah, and he's, you know, which Mitchell wakes up after being recruited and, and obviously a very symbolic crow lands on his head. And provides us with the crow sound effect that will happen multiple times throughout mm, the series. Many times. Many, uh, many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, what I love about Annie's speech is like, we, so we are here overlooked and forgotten and there she, there she is at her wake literally like waving at the family and friends that she can't see just totally invisible to everyone oh poor annie i mean straight away you can get an idea of what it must be like to be a ghost and especially for her um and you get to you know you get to know her more over the um series and just how she is such a pe people person and that you can see that first um suggestion of that in just that little scene but it's quite the juxtaposition, though, because amongst that, cut in with that, is Mitchell getting on with Lauren. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Woo! Uh, feasting. Yeah, having a little nibble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, and then, of course, after that, we get um, a, a bit of George. Straight away. Tick on the tick in the old bum box. Yeah, pound pound in the bum box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's like Annie's words again. At his narration, the stuff with nightmares, and I yeah. love the cut of yes! him, him howling as a woman, and it cuts to just George yawning in the hospital. Yeah, just him and Mitchell sharing that packet of whatever it was, crisps or something. It's and that that's such a perfect example of the being human. You've got horror. Um, juxtaposed with the most normal, mon mundane human activity. Yeah. And even, and just speaking of that, like we get a brief snapshot of the guys moving in with Annie looking out the window at them. Mm. And I guess that's pretty much all you're going to get because in Toby's mind, he's probably, I've covered that in the pilot. I don't need to go through that. Yeah. And that's what I love is how it ends. So what have we got left to look forward to? us refugees, the flotsam and jetsam of death. If we still deserve such a thing as mercy, we yeah. find each other or something. Yeah. Because I knew you'd try and complete it. I know. <laughs> and then I panic and everything goes out of my head. <laughs> um, yeah, we get the first glimpse of the colourful Totterdown Streets, uh, which is a suburb of Bristol <gasps> with a pizza delivery guy. As is often used in being human, the Bristol accent is used to great effect. Mess of meat. No, maybe it's drive around and oh, I cannot do accents to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Annie is now visible, um, probably due to the events of the pilot, and she's giving a masterclass in absolute small talk to the delivery guy. Yes. 
typical Annie, enthusiastic. She is also doing her bit for feminism by happily being called a slag. Yes, yes, I love her joy at that. <laughs> <laughs> She's so proud, and the other the other two are just like, oh, oh, what's going? What what is this? Now I'm going to get to the crux of the matter straight away, and I'm I'm sorry I'm going to bring this subject up. Mitchell is a vampire. Yeah. He doesn't have a heartbeat, but he eats and drinks. So I'm going to be blunt here. How does he go to the toilet? And he does go as well. <laughs> I have lit. I have. I, would, I have I, no I idea. Hope he does go. <gasps> yeah. Otherwise, he'd be really big. And he scoffs, he scoffs that pizza as well. Do you know when you've watched a TV show too many times? I always think about this scene, it's really funny. Is like they collect the pizza, and yeah. Mitchell walks in from the kitchen and sits down, and literally half the pizza's gone. So I'm thinking, right, he's probably put half that in the fridge. Fine, I'll yeah. go with that. Yeah. Let's overlook that. And then they literally have two bites. He has, literally has two bites of the pizza and says, I'm off. Uh off, yeah, off we go. <laughs> yeah. So why did you it's order like, pizza? Yeah, you know, honestly, pizza is not is not cheap, you know. And he's just gonna eat. I think yeah, like two, three slices. Didn't even offer any to anyone else. Like George, poor George. He's not he's not given a a slice. <laughs> so the thing with him eating, I know I'm being silly with that, but also there, in, in the opening montage, there's a there's a clip with Mitchell at the War Memorial uh, with his shades. Now, a lot of people would argue, well, vampires shouldn't be out in daylight. You know, being human, while it touches on some <laughs> some some of the tropes of vampires, it also has its own rules. Yeah. And, and to be blunt, the basic reason why Mitchell and vampires can be out in the daylight is purely budget, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't want to just have to restrict themselves to doing it at, in night shoots constantly yeah, which exactly. is expensive it's expensive and time consuming yeah. isn't it so um, it's, it's the really, same yeah it's really boring it's a, but it's true <laughs> yeah and it's the, it's the same thing with the um you know how they can still have reflections and you know various objects but not mirrors is yeah. that it was just going to be too too tricky for them to yeah. cut like you know edit out or their CGI reflections in it, every yeah. window yeah exactly so you know, res respect to them for that. <laughs> they pulled it off. Yeah, just about. Um, just about. So they are now in the hospital and George would prefer a damp infestation over living with Annie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, I find it really interesting to see how um, George's and Annie's relationship sort of starts in the show. And you get, you know, if in the pilot as well, you can see he's was quite antagonistic towards him, her but definitely in this episode as well he's still i don't know how long after the pilot this is meant to be um but he's still not he's still not enjoying her company no i think it's pretty soon because he's still moaning, yeah in the first scene he's still moaning about cups of tea everywhere isn't he yes yeah yeah i don't think he's got used to any yet no i do not think so which but it's it's nice as i'm sure we'll go on to later just to see how how that changes over this, not just this episode, but the whole series as well. So on the CCTV, Mitchell spots a potential vampire situation. And just he... just by a lift opening, yeah. apparently. Yeah. I mean, it could have just been a dodgy lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the hospitals, the NHS isn't receiving, you know, that much funding. So 
<laughs> he finds Seth hovering above a patient. Now, this is a very different Seth from the pilot. This is a very... Uh, <laughs> how would you describe <laughs> Seth? Um, oh, well, you know, Seth, um, he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> he is a complete idiot. What I love about him is everything he says, he thinks is really clever. Yes. It's the most basic insults. It's the most basic insults. Oh my goodness! I've got I've noted down yeah when what he says in that scene that it's cold out there without us. I mean now what does that even mean? He's just he's just saying things at this point. Yeah, he's like, he's like oh. trying being behind Herrick taking notes, but the notes are just yes. really bad. <laughs> oh gosh, ah oh, Seth. But of course he wants to feed on the patient. Uh, even though it's a positive blood, a bit Jacob's creaky for him. <laughs> Mitchell's having none of it, so this is this is where we get the to and fro between Mitchell and the, and the vampires. He's trying to be clean, and they're trying to lure him back. Yeah, and it's it. I like this scene because it gives sort of an introduction to what makes a vampire, in that it's um. You know, you've got the the super strength, the fangs, the black eyes, and then you've got the insinuation of what happens when they don't feed, and also the fact that vampires can go without blood. Because in so many um, vampire pieces of media, you know, vampires need that blood to live. Um, they I have to consume it daily or frequently, whereas in being human, it's sort of more just seen as something that they like to do, and it's, it's an addiction, but it's not... It, they don't need it to survive. Yeah, they can survive. Um, As like Seth says, he's pale. Mitchell's pale, isn't he? And so obviously not not feeding, not getting that good old iron blood iron intake, um, has its effects. <laughs> now George is talking to a nurse called Becca, as and they see pictures of Mitchell's victim Lauren on the wall. He needs to rush to the isolation unit though. So while he's down there again. The Bristol accent comes into his own. There's a load of workmen doing some stuff in down there, <laughs> and it's in an absolute state. And this work, this work guy, have they been keeping the mentals in here or what? <laughs> I, just, I can't do the Bristol accent. I just like to that, that was a that was a great that was a great a great impression. So this just leaves George in a state of panic. He he needs to transform, and he's got nowhere to transform now. Mitchell is in the cab. Naturally, uh, there's a woman there after a bit of Big John action. Mm. Yeah, hell yeah, it is. He is. And then, yeah, Mitchell vanishes off, runs after him. They go off and they end up end up in the woods. And it's the woods scene, a.k.a. probably my favourite scene in the in the first episode. Is it really? It's one of the... I mean, I love the whole episode, but this is just... This is an iconic scene. Yeah, uh, set to the music. Some, yeah. Some, sometimes music... You know, it can be subtle, but sometimes you just need a big hammer around the head and it's when the sun goes down <laughs> by Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, oh, and this, I don't know whether you um, remember, but I did the um, fan vote of favourite uh, musical moment yes. in Being Human. And this this scene with the Arctic Monkeys, this one, the best, the fan favourite musical moment. Wow. Um, and it was, um, it's the... Music supervisors, I think, favourite use of music in the first series. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, now, now you do. Okay. So, George, <laughs> basically, does he run into, like, a school camping trip? 
Yeah, it's... Oh, my goodness. It's, it's a bunch of kids, at least. Yeah. yeah. Then a couple at it. And then a creepily shadowed man who we'll, we will later meet. Mm. So after a nice little jog in the woods, he's back in the car and telling Mitchell to head back to the house. And yeah, so they basically storm into the house and Annie... Well, I just hoovered. Yeah. <laughs> it's that... Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> and it's so just like a resign. Oh. Yeah. Oh, honestly. So they decide that the transformation should happen in the living room and... Uh, and he wants to watch. So George is reluctant at first, but they decide on it, on Annie hiding in the kitchen. Mitchell grabs his telly, which even in 2009 was quite dated. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a chunky television. Yeah, a chunky little TV. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, honestly, honestly, I think Mitchell saving that TV is probably the smartest thing that this guy ever did. <laughs> <laughs> Like the rest, of it, he's such a he's such an idiot in the rest of the show. But this saving the TV, you know, kudos to him for that. Yeah, but the TV <laughs> later got him in trouble. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe it would be better if he had just. Uh. In hindsight, it's George's fault. <sighs> yeah, it actually is the whole thing. So, Thanks, George. <laughs> yeah. So George is stood there naked, which must have been a totally weird scene to shoot, as uh, Annie watches on in the uh, kitchen. Again. Killer small talk for Manny. I think someone's finally moved into number 18. <laughs> yeah, which George is not happy about, it seems. <laughs> George isn't happy about any neighbours. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then the transformation, which is... I mean, I have to say, I think, uh, yeah, the werewolves and being human perhaps aren't, like, the best in terms of special effects, but it was... Oh, my gosh, the transformation is up on some of my top one of my top favourite transformations. Think, yeah, I think that the process of the transformation looks amazing. It really does. It really is. But Annie's face just watch, watches on in terror. Oh. And, it, and I love that dramatic pause as she like yeah. peers up from behind the kitchen counter. And then, then George just like looks at her and then immediately vanishes outside with Mitchell. Yeah. And they have a nice little snuggle. Despite, despite the car being right there. They decide to sit on the step the whole night. Yeah, and also, like, Mitchell did say, this should, you know, make it seem like there's a party on. This is a very vibrant yeah. party. You can see <laughs> objects through the curtains flying about. Yeah. I know, I've been to some wild parties, but I have to say none... I've never been to one quite that, <laughs> quite that wild. Next morning, they walk in on the scene of wreckage. Russell's bum, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Bum box. <laughs> Uh, do you know what? I'm really regretting calling her that. <laughs> you are now? Oh, well, you've got the rest of You've got three more series of that. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, the place is completely wrecked. George is apologetic. The favorite, the, My favourite line, and it's a Being Human fan favourite line, is Mitchell, yeah. I'm sensing a trip to work here, and you know my feelings about that. Oh. It's brilliant. <laughs> Isn't it weird how such just a little line has just captured yeah. everyone? Well, I think I think this episode is one of the most quotable episodes. Like the dialogue is just perfect. I love it. And that's again, but that goes back to sublime to ridiculous, like a massive werewolf yeah. transformation, and then just moaning <laughs> talking about going to IKEA. I think. Yes. I think that's why it hit home, hits home really. Yeah. Then you've got like you know this you know, mass murdering vampire who's lived for years and his greatest annoyance is a trip to Ikea. 
to be fair. Although I can, yeah. Ikea, there's a lot of mirrors. Yeah, and you imagine like Mitchell wandering into that whole bit with all the mirrors. Like that would just not. That would not be not go well. Then it comes to George's surprise that Owen, Annie's ex, and their landlord is going to show up any minute now. Oh, yeah. Which leads to this big argument between them, between George and Annie. Yeah, because obviously, as far as Annie's concerned, she's visible. So George is why why he's going to see you? You'll bloody kill him. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, she she doesn't mind. She's a, she's okay with that. I'm kind of with George on this. It's absolutely yeah. lunacy that she's uh, literally hiding around the corner in the house. But yes. she's got questions. One of which is, are you sleeping with Janie Harris? <laughs> <laughs> ah, Janie, 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 Janie. And then the other one is what? Oh, the sister, ha- sister having a baby, yeah. which is rather sweet. I don't know how. I don't know how she was expecting Mitchell to sort of weave that into a conversation, but that's Annie for you. <laughs> George is against this. We have to protect the household. You saying, have just smashed up the household. He can't come back to that, can he? <laughs> no. George goes into panic zone when the door <laughs> when the doorbell. <laughs> And we're introduced to Owen. Now, if that was Annie in this situation, her small talk would have been on point. Yeah, definitely. George, however, mumbling <laughs> mess of nothingness. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness, this whole scene. Yeah, George just really, yeah, he's really, he, he, he says just act normal. And then what what comes after is anything but normal. So Annie stumbles on the stairs. So George goes up to basically tell her off. And uh, Owen starts talking about Annie. And starts talking about how she died in an accident. He put it down to wiring. And this seems to me genuinely quite lovely. Yeah. And if we didn't know what we later know, it is really well performed by by the actor. And it's very touching. And it's very believable. Mm. Mitchell's fully on board with it. The most telling bit of this is, is how he ends it. He says, she was mine. And such a, such, a yes. li- such a little bit of detail. He, he speaks about her for about a minute, and at the end, she was mine. Yeah, I didn't even properly pick up on that. I was still in that, oh. <laughs> George comes downstairs, and, uh, well. <laughs> he's, he's murdered a pigeon. He's murdered, oh no. R.I.P. to that pigeon. <laughs> With a with a shoe, no less. I mean, that's a. <laughs> I love I love Mitchell's reaction to that, just like spitting out his beer. <laughs> <laughs> so Annie comes down the stairs, obviously heartbroken, mm. and Mitchell's reassures her that he loved her very much. And there's a really nice moment where she grabs his bottle and like just literally touches it with her lip. That's a, it's a really sweet moment that, um, which George oh George almost ruins by asking about the. Sc- squeaky tap of course of course course. now we go for the first proper introduction of (gasps) holding an audience captive with basically what is called shit magic (laughs) you you weren't impressed well i'm not a fan of magic anyway and even if eric's doing it i'm still not going to be impressed oh honestly i would have been i would have been entranced So what did you think of the this introduction to, to Herrick? It's such a, it's oh. quite a curious way to do it, isn't it? I guess the message mm. is to say how he holds people captive with his charm and his power. 
Yeah. I think that's that's basically what this whole next two or three minutes is about, isn't it? Yes, yeah, and his whole um, conversation with Car as well, and Mitchell being like, well, it's that more tricks, and he's just like, yeah, no, just just manners. But he is, yeah, I, oh, I do love Herrick. I think he's such, and compared to, you know, compared to the pilot version of him, I think that he, Jason Watkins just does a brilliant job right from the off. This is, this is, I guess, where the difference is. In the, in the pilot, the vampires were in dark, non-distinct mm-hmm. places. They yeah. didn't really have a personality. They felt detached from the rest of the world in the pilot, didn't they? Yeah, very much so. Herrick in as as a police officer, mm. not just a police officer, but he's in a hospital as well. He's infiltrating yeah. two big parts of society where he can manipulate them, and straight away he's right there amongst the crux of it. And he's meeting Mitchell. Mitchell's line is, "This isn't your fucking larder." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. And I, I, I do. I really love the idea um, of having vampires as police i think it's just so perfect to have these people who are your you're meant to be trusting and actually no you know you don't and i think yeah lord lord toby very much said um there's no propaganda here in being human like throughout the series there's you know police are shown to be the ones that you do not trust and that starts starts here with um herrick and his right hand man seth yeah and his uh i would say chatting up of kara is, mm. is part of that manipulation and part of that mind gameplay, isn't very it? Very much so. So Mitchell is very concerned about Herrick's plan, but obviously he's being very vague, Herrick. Uh, he talks of mass conversion. This is where, like, I mean, the writing's brilliant, but the way Jason Watkins says it, how noble of you to talk on the curse of immortality so that your friends mm. could wither and decay in hospitals and old people's homes. Mitchell looks offended, but, but Herrick's just like, I'm joking, I'm joking. And that's just, yeah, it's just, it's great. And I think, like, yeah, this whole scene between them, it's very, it's such a good piece of dialogue because it gives a bit of more exposition about how, you know, Mitchell came to be a vampire in their previous, you know, relationship and what Mitchell used to be like. But it's done in such a, such a good, natural way. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, it's not forced down, you, down your throat, is it? It's literally, no. you know, they're, they're hints. Obviously, they used to be a team, but you're not throughout the series you're fed a bit more at a time yeah you know you know instantly herrick has the power yes yeah but then like there's he says you know people admire you i admire you and yeah you you can tell by there that oh because he comes across as so charming in the episode but you know if someone as nasty as herrick admires mitchell you know there's some some interesting past there within a sentence he can go from that charm to utter menace in the blink of an eye he's then talking about going up to the children's ward and recruiting children yeah 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 you are a shark be a shark like that whole it's so yeah it goes from jokey sort of friendly to yeah really tense herrick clearly wants mitchell back on his side mitchell's having none of it he's saying i don't expect you to agree and i love the delivery of this line good i don't it's mental And yeah, again, wonderful dialogue. Everything's about to change and nothing can stop it. This is nature. This is tectonic plates shifting. And the only thing is, the only thing you and me get to choose is what side you're on when it happens. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Something to ponder. Smirk. 
Oh, that little smirk, that little, it's just, oh. Yeah, it's Herrick's first great speech, I think. Yeah, definitely. He has a good few of those, but to introduce a character like that in that way was just a brilliant piece of writing and performing. Yeah, just in one scene, everything has been illustrated, the things that we don't know. You can just imagine the horror those two got up to and what his plans are for the future. Yeah. Oh. It's been, strangely, a, a fairly, a, despite the werewolf transformations and all that, it's been a fairly cosy introduction to the to yeah. the series. But then this scene just ups the levels and the stakes. No pun, mm. no pun intended. Yeah. It, it immediately makes you think, oh, there's more, even more to this. Definitely. I feel like, yes, I think... Because I know they sort of changed when they were re- sort of writing this episode. They w- were told by the BBC to make it a bit lighter. And I think up until this point, it's be- it has been quite, you know, lighthearted. It's been a bit, you know, there's been plenty of comedy, good quotes. But then this scene between Mitchell and Herrick, that really shows, yeah, you know, this is, this, the, this, may, have a co- this may have comedy in it, but we're going to be dealing with some dark shit. Don't get comfortable. That's what that scene's saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. George and Mitchell are uh, in the linen cupboard, a place supernaturals don't frequent enough. Becca, <laughs> Be- Becca turns up, and George compliments her on the smell of her hair. Ooh. We've all been bad with people we find attractive before. We've all made tits of ourselves sometimes. <laughs> no one has ever said, you smell like a polo, have you got a hole? Oh, George. Oh, I love him. Just that moment, just all three of their faces. I think when I was watching that, I was just like, I repeated it just to watch like just their reactions. And it is just so, so perfect. Like George just being like, what the hell have I just said? Mitchell be like, is this really, this is really my friend here? And Becca's just, oh, just. Poor, poor Becca. Poor George. Mitchell promises to put in a good word because he can actually talk to women without weeping or setting fire to <laughs> Back at the pink house, Annie has George's mobile. Now, how do we tolerate such small phone screens? Oh my goodness. I wrote, I didn't, I noted that down. I was like, the show overall, I don't feel like it's aged hugely, but oh, that phone. Yes, she's messaging Owen over the leaky plumbing to come over and it's not a euphemism (laughs) there is a memorial service to lauren at the hospital and afterwards she surprises him she's expecting george to be her next kill Mm. Um, you know all the things you were scared of as a kid all the monsters under your bed they're all real and george is terrified but not because she's a vampire, more of the fact that she's alive. Are you supposed to weep or scream or wee yourself when George is just distressed because he learns that Mitchell has yeah. killed her, not said anything? That lack of trust again, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And then like, I have to say, I, you know, Lauren, I so much prefer her to the her pilot yes. um, version as well. She's still got that sort of edginess but you know the lawn in the pilot was so over the top and this one i you know she is she is a bit she is a bit scary but has that mix of being still quite still quite attractive george confronts mitchell in the corridor now mitchell has no idea Mm. and he says no 
he says about oh there's some what is it some steaks in the fridge that go off at midnight and now I'm, yeah something like that yeah food <laughs> literally going off right on midnight yes it's just, it's yeah. Just yeah oh my it's like up until at 11 59 it's all fine you can eat it to your heart's content as soon as that clock chimes midnight Ugh, you're dead to be fair george is eating worse <laughs> definitely and so is mitchell actually i don't know what they are being ridiculously picky here so yeah george confronts mitchell he talks about why are we trying to be normal if you're doing this because obviously we, we talked earlier about like mitchell being clean but he isn't clean no you know seth thinks he was clean but obviously he's, he's fed on lauren mm. and you know you buy a bottle of wine and a packet of condoms <laughs> it's one of the yeah <laughs> oh yeah and then Mitchell says, I'm not like you. I don't have days off. This is what I am. Yeah. And I think that that's straight away shows some of the, like, the, the reason perhaps behind, you know, the vampire and werewolf antagonism. As yeah. much as George and Mitchell are friends, it, that shows the difference and cause of mm. when they fall out. Mitchell's almost envious of George that, in his mind, George gets time off. Which, yeah. as we later learn in the series, isn't necessarily true. But obviously, visibly, to, to Mitchell, George does get those days off. Whereas, whereas it is more of a constant battle for Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. George says, well, what, what is it like, um, then why are we even trying? Which I feel is such a such an upsetting but very understandable reaction. George storms off and Becca walks in. And I think it's a great performance from Becca. Throughout the episode, just that awkwardness <laughs> and that just embarrassment yeah. that she has constantly. And I love the way she just walks on the slippery floor. Oh, sorry, can I walk on that? Have you just mopped there? <laughs> just so, it's just so perfectly timed. I don't yeah. know what it is. So she asks him out on a date in her own unique way. <laughs> she, does, she does a better job asking people on a date than I do. I'll, I'll give her that. <laughs> and with a pervy smile, he agrees. Yeah, so this is... This is the bit that I was like thinking about a bit is that he makes it very clear earlier on that he's not interested in her. And with, you know, with what George has just said and with everything with Lauren, is he saying saying that he'll go on a date with Becca, thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm I might well kill her, but I'm okay with that." Like is he actually considering that that is what he's going to be doing? I think that's yeah, that's the impression yeah. obviously because He's, he's recently fed off Lauren. George is angry with him. He's also had that bit of a conflict with Herrick in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And now basically someone's serving it up to him on a plate, aren't they? So the bad side is winning, I think. Yeah. Which is straight away in the first episode when you have someone already, you know, this main character. You've already, you know, he's very likeable from the start. Already being like, mm, yeah, I might, um, I might go numb on this this woman here <laughs> nom on this woman nom on this woman you know nom 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 <laughs> if, if this podcast ever does merch i'm i'm having a t-shirt with nom on this woman written on it yes i will i will wear that with pride <laughs> in the pink house annie is practicing in the mirror of how she's going to reveal herself to owen alongside friendly ghost playing by eels yes yeah. The knock on the door happens and she hides around the corner. Now behind him is a certain Janie Harris. Oh, that little orange so-and-so. <laughs> and I just love 
As soon as, as, soon as Annie hears yes. his voice, she mouths, Janie Farris. <laughs> she doesn't even need to see her, just that voice. She knows. Yeah. So the telly's on and Owen goes to turn off the telly right in front of where Annie is standing and he literally stares right through her. Mm. Yeah, he can sense, he senses something clearly. But it's quite a moment because at first you think he's just going to walk <sighs> around the corner and be Annie? Yeah. <laughs> Have a heart attack. Hey, what have you been up to? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I kill you? <laughs> George walks in talking to Annie just haphazardly, pure George reaction. As soon as Owen walks from the right-hand side, he's like, ah! He doesn't, he's in conflict because he's talking to Annie. He's not sure whether Owen can see her. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant. Then they do this so often in the series, and I love it This when they're talking to both someone, a human and a ghost, and trying to work out how they do it. Yeah. And George is trying to cope and with the... Oh, yeah, that's that's where my phone went. Oh, okay. He's not really doing it very subtly because he is looking no. directly at Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they never. They really need to practice on how to speak when there's a ghost in the room, Mama. It's a very George reaction as well because yeah. he's more frightened by a human being than a ghost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give him ghost, vampire, werewolf any day of the week, but humans, uh-uh. They agree to Owen coming back somewhere, somewhere in the week, as George says. It's hard to say. There's always somebody here. <laughs> and he's just distressed that she couldn't be seen by him. Yeah, and then we get this beautiful moment. I mean, it starts really like really quite sad, but it turns really upsetting when she's like, "Oh, she gets him, and I get you, you." Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. He's with someone else, and now she gets to kiss him and watch him shave and yeah. laugh. And I'm still in the clothes I died in. I get nothing. <laughs> she gets him, and I get you. It's such a big and emotional moment for, for yeah. Lenora to do as well. It's just yeah. everything for all these characters. Everything is so perfectly set up in this episode. Yes. Yeah. It really introduces their um, each character's arc in their future, what's going to happen to them in the series. And it does it really well. And we get really probably the first moment of a bond forming between yes. George and Annie as he talks of meeting his ex. Which we can assume, I guess, was from the pilot. And yeah. then he talks of his werewolf attack. And he goes on to explain how he became a werewolf walking in Scotland. And he describes being offended by what he saw. And he's mm. like, I survived. Like you, Horatius. <laughs> yeah, they bonded over surviving. That's great. But Congrats to them, yeah. <laughs> now, we, now, we, now we know why I think Owen didn't see Annie. Because of what we later learn. It's the power he had over her. Yeah. She's also, what did you think about Janie? I think <laughs> she looks like Kilroy. <laughs> she thinks it looks classy. Oh, God. <laughs> I do love how it goes from like this the, that really emotional bonding moment to just slagging off her ex-fiancé's new partner. Yeah, it's but, then like, it, yeah. but then it goes back again. He goes, you're much prettier and much nicer. And Nanny responds, and, mm, and much deader. Much deader. Oh. I mean, what a line. Yeah. Uh, Lenora does that scene so well. Brilliant, absolutely. So again, the Bristol accent comes into its own as George has a number-based conversation with a nurse. 
Uh, she's <laughs> trying to ring Becca about some medication. And she confesses, well, she's not confesses, she tells George that he's with your mate. You know, him with the face. <laughs> him with the face. Ah, oh, Mitchell, I'm sure everyone, you know, we can all agree he's got a face. And George asks, where did they go? <laughs> Christ knows. I would have asked, but that would have looked like I gives a shit. I actually went, I'm, I'm sorry, I went Gavin and Stacey there, not Bristol. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, we're going all over, all over the, all over the west. Becca and Mitchell are at the bar. Mm. Mitchell's exciting conversation about pea-based nerves obviously is doing the trick. But he's got this. You know, this hundred-year-old vampire still can't piss in the same toilet as a, you know. I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. How can he pee? Yeah. Oh, you know, this is yeah. See, it all comes round. It's a medical mystery. Yeah, he gets the shakes. Uh, he puts it down to quitting smoking. And George gets more exercise this time in a more urban setting as he tries to find them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I want to mention the when Becca asks Mitchell how how the smoke, how the giving up smoking is going. He says the very, very ominous words of once a smoker, always a smoker. No point in fighting it. And it's like, oh, no, no, Mitchell, what are you thinking? Lauren goes into the bar. Yes. Pulls up a seat, and obviously Mitchell wants to get Lauren away because Becca has recognised her face, obviously from the papers, and having been mm-hmm. recently dead and working in the hospital. So it's all very, very awkward. Yeah. Yeah, and Lauren is absolutely loving it. She's having the time of her life, and then Mitchell then drags her outside, yeah. and they have their little chinwag. Mitchell's convinced it's always about Herrick, isn't he? And oh, yeah. Whereas Lauren is, no, I don't care about all that. She's feeling left by Mitchell because of the, he recruited her and abandoned her. I empathise with Lauren. I think it was an awful move of Mitchell to bring her into that world and then just leave her. Yeah, yeah she talks about Herrick's talking about offering it first, but let's just take it. Uh. And whatever it takes, we will drag you back. Yeah. So Mitchell goes back into the date, says his apologies. Yeah, because L- Lauren's basically like changed his. He was all all about to go and as said nom on Becca, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but lo- like you know he gets a jolt from seeing Lauren just taking so much pleasure and and desire and killing, and he's nope. Well, I'd happily nom on Becca. Yeah, you know, go on, Mitchell. It's not in the not in the Lauren way. <laughs> But yeah, Mitchell uses the horrible line, it's me, it's not you, essentially, oh. essentially it's not you, it's me. And she, Rebecca says, it's the first time I've heard that before a shag. Yeah. <laughs> George chances upon Lauren outside. This is the thing with be- being human, does it give vampires extra strength? Because she pins George against the wall and raises him properly high. Yeah, I think they I think they have super strength. I don't think they're like, you know, amazing, you know, Superman strong, but I think they they have that extra power, especially if they've fed recently, which obviously Lauren just has. Um but even, you know, Mitchell, even after not feeding for a while, like he could still pin Seth to the wall. Yeah, it's true. George discovers Becca's body. Lauren has feasted on her, nommed. Nommed? Nom nom? Hashtag nommed. <laughs> Hashtag nommed on Becca. <laughs> and uh, Mitchell rushes out, 
and tries clotting the blood. In Lauren's words, she's about two pints away from being an organ donor. Now, the moral conflict that Mitchell has to do now is recruit her or just let her die. Oh, such dilemma. Do you think he did the right thing? I think he did the right thing. I think he's seen what it does to Lauren. As they say a bit later, you know, they were can you save her and saving such a big part of the episode the theme of the episode and show even and he says like not another one i can't which you know it shows that he's yeah he yeah he really doesn't and i think that yeah no i think he made the right decision there and it shows the constant pull and pull at the heart of mitchell's mind because yeah. he was literally on a date with the mind he was gonna kill her the mind of <laughs> doing that himself yeah probably getting a shag first it snaps him back into that humanity, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. Suddenly, everything is clearer. He doesn't recruit her, and we cut to the hospital. George is concerned with what will the public think, i.e., what will mm-hmm. you know passersby think? What will, what will it say in the news? I.e., will it get out that vampires exist and ghosts and werewolves? And yeah. Mitchell basically looks towards Herrick, who's in the hospital dealing with it, and says they have ways of doing this. We've been around for thousands of years. They have branches everywhere. And he's literally yeah. looking at Herrick as he says that. Which is which is interesting, because it insinuates that George doesn't know about Herrick, or much really about vampires at all, despite them... Uh, they've known each other for uh, at least a year. I think uh, there's a flashback later which says they've known each other for two years. And so it's like, how... How much has Mitchell actually told him about vampires well, and that? Because it doesn't seem like a whole lot. Honesty isn't Mitchell's strongest point. No, he's he's not known for that. <laughs> he's not going to put it on his CV. No. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think from a future flashback, we can assume he's started going clean about the time he met George. So obviously in his mind, he, wants, he doesn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. He wants to cut it out. They're surprised. There's, you know, they're constantly surprised throughout series one about the things that they learn about vampires because obviously Mitchell hasn't. Yeah. So outside the hospital, Herrick confronts Mitchell with it's make your mind up time. And unconvincingly, he says, I choose them. Which lasts such a long time. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I love. Seth, literally like a little puppy behind Herrick, be seeing you and your little dog. (laughs) And he looks so pleased with himself. He looks so smug. He's been wait- you know he's been waiting to use that line as as ever since he found out that Mitchell was friends with George a werewolf. He you know he's been he's had that in his mind ready to use. <laughs> we cut to the house again and Mitchell is looking desolate in the living room and George describing vampires as predators to Annie. He's like every inch of them is just hunger and fury. He kind of appreciates the battle that Mitchell was going through. Yeah, yeah, it's like the effort it must take him every day not to be like that. Which, yeah, and I think he's sort of, yeah, he understands then, you know, what Mitchell was saying earlier about, you know, George gets those days off and he has to deal with it every, every time. And I don't I think it took to then for George to realise just what Mitchell is having to deal with every single day. George suggests going to the pub in an almost reverse of the ending of the pilot, really. Mm. Annie was visible at the beginning. Now she's reverting to type, weakened by what's happened with Owen. Mitchell is lost because of what's happened to Lauren and now Becca. And Annie (laughs) says, I feel safe here. There are monsters outside. Yeah, which... (laughs) 
then leads to to who is outside at the very end of the episode. Yeah, and uh, again, <laughs> it's such a good way to seek into the next episode. But it's yes, George is the one out of the episodes that have come out pretty much how he was at the start. He's got a bit nice. He's got a bit nicer to Annie. Their relationship has improved a little bit, but yeah, he's pretty much the same George that we've seen. Episode two, we will meet the monster outside. Uh-huh. But that concludes episode one, Flotsam and Jetsam. Concluding thoughts? Honestly, I think this is, in my opinion, at least one of the best episodes, not only of being human, but one of the best first episodes of anything I've ever watched. I think it is. it just so perfectly encapsulates what being human is, which is, you know, this emotional but funny and quirky... But it can be really dark all at the same time. And it's just, it's, um, I think having the pilot beforehand was really good for them to sort of like clean up um, what they were planning to do. Because it feels a very, you know, well thought out and clean episode, which is sometimes quite hard to find in, you know, the beginning of a show. Yeah, it's true. There's There's a thing like a lot of TV reviewers will say about world building. In yeah. TV shows, and, and maybe it's come a bit of a stereotype, but fundamentally, <laughs> it is true. You are immediately in this world. You you are set in Bristol. Mm-hmm. It's got a sense of place. It's got a sense of purpose. It's got yeah. brilliant characters who you learn about immediately. Yes, through all their flaws, and by God, it focuses on most of their flaws. And yet, you come out of the first episode liking them all. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a big ask, because obviously, of course, Annie's likeable, and we know what she's been going through. Yeah. And George is a werewolf by accident and a freak of nature, but Mitchell Mm. also by an accident and a freak of nature, but he's still doing, he's still killing, he's still Mm. got that monster inside him. Yeah. And yet he comes out of that episode on a par with the other two, likeable. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, um, I mean, <laughs> I think that it definitely helps that, you know, a- you know, Aiden's quite good looking, I think, you know, just just a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, just just a tad. Um, but he is like, you're told, you know, you can see the hints of darkness, big bad John, you know, you've, you know that he's this killer and he's done awful things in the past. But it's almost it's it's almost hard to believe because you know he's this charming Irish fellow and he's wearing bright yellow and he's drinking beer and he's laughing and God that's you know his smile is just it, he's so likable and it's almost hard to believe that he's this vicious killer, um, which obviously changes a little bit as the sh- series goes on. But this first episode especially, you know, you're sort of it's very hard to dislike him. And so very, very easy, easy to like all of them. And that's part of why the domestication works, because it brings mm-hmm. everything down to our, yes. our worldview. We all go to work. We all, we all go to the pub. We all do this. We all have to do washing up. And if you set such strange characters and such out there characters in that world, they immediately, be- yeah. they immediately become relatable. Yeah. To get them relatable, despite all the things that they do throughout this show... That's a big ask, and they do it. <laughs> I mean, hello, the vampires are wearing scrubs. You know, <laughs> how how many shows are you do you get when this hundred and ten year old mass murderer is just s- s- mopping up floors in a little hospital in Bristol? You know, <laughs> and dreading trips to IKEA. 
a dreading trip to Ikea and being injured by a ghost kicking them in the shin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> as well as all of that, you've got the fret level engaged. Yes. Because you've got that complete normality and then this sudden imposing level of fret that you know is going to be serious. By the end of the episode, we've had death, we've had fret of world domination, we've had werewolf transformations, we've had all this, and all while talking about mundane day-to-day activities. And that's quite a challenge. And to set all this up and all these characters in the first episode is an amazing thing. And also the, the yeah. side characters. It's not like mm. it's, the, the, the backing characters are rubbish and they're just like throwaway. They all serve a purpose. Yeah. Even, you know, you, you know even Seth. <laughs> he's, still, Seth. He's, he's still such an important character. We love, we love, it wouldn't be being human without our lovely um, picky blood drinker, Seth, with bad cliched lines, you know. Thank you very much, Booth. <laughs> You're very welcome. My name definitely doesn't work as a vampire name. Oh, I think it does. I need to change it. You think? Nah, it sounds like I'm in secondary school stuff. <laughs> Miss Booth. Miss Booth. And that concludes episode two on episode one. Next up, we will be going through Tully, which is episode three, but we're going through episode two. Look, just you'll get used to it. Uh, you can contact us on the socials on Facebook and Instagram. We are the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. On Twitter, you can contact us at Box Tunnel Pod. And if you want to be a guest on the show, a co-host, and talk about an episode of Being Human, feel free to send me an email. On Twitter, we've been recently doing a thing about music connected to Being Human. Not necessarily the music that is in Being Human. Is there a song or songs that you connect to the show or a character in the show that is not in the show itself? Um, If there is, just contact us and let us know. Until next time, I'll be seeing you and your dog. That was the Box Tunnel Podcast. And thanks.